Life is not one monotonous tone. Can you imagine a song that only had one note in it? It uh, wouldn't be much of a song. It would just be a noise. You know, one note is not a song. One note is a noise. But a song has many different notes. It has high notes and low notes. And then if you really, you, you really want to hear something, we call it a symphony. What is a symphony? It is not simply more than one note, but it is different octaves and different instruments, but all of them are playing together in a harmonious way, and all of them uh, bring out what we call a symphony. It brings out all the complexity of, of music and puts it all together. Well, your life and my life is not a noise. It is like a song. It is, and hopefully, if it's under God's plan, it would be like a symphony. There are high times and there are low times. Sometimes we're in key. Sometimes we're out of key. Life is up and down. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to take a look at the life of David and we're going to do it through the book of Psalms. We're going to go back and pick up some of the high points in the life of David. But remember, David was a passionate man. David was an artist. David played the harp. David wrote music. And, you know, that they tell me, I don't know that I'm an artist, I don't think I am, but they tell me that artists, you know, can be geniuses, but they also can be uh, very odd people. You know, if you study some of the famous artists of the world, you find out they were greatly gifted, but sometimes they were uh, greatly odd. You know, I mean, they had some oddities about them. And, and I think when you look at the life of David, sometimes we're surprised that David can go from one extreme to the other. I mean, he can be a saint, it seems, and then you turn around and David is acting like a, a terrible sinner because he was a sinner, as we all are. But David, in the midst, all through his life, David was writing music. And you know, the book of Psalms was originally a book of songs. Those psalms were put to music. Now, certainly, through the centuries, we've lost the music. We don't know what the music sounded like, and that's probably well and good because sometimes music doesn't last in terms of through a period of time, people's tastes change and, and that music doesn't resonate. But the lyrics, the lyrics are eternal. And that is what we have left with us today in the book of Psalms. We have the lyrics, the words to those uh, great songs that, songs that David and others wrote. So when we think about the things that happened in the life of David, I want us to begin with the things he wrote about. And, and we're going to go all the way back to when David was a young boy in Psalm 23. Now, I don't know that we know when David wrote the 23rd Psalm. We can't say for certainty it was when he was a young boy, but it seems to me that it certainly reflects the way he must have been as a young teenager tending the flocks of his father. You know, there's a certain innocence to youth. Not to say that children are innocent, we believe, and the Bible teaches us that we are all born in sin. All of us are born sinners. We are born tainted by sin. It's been said you never have to teach a child to lie. You know, you never have to teach a child to be selfish. All that comes naturally. But you do have to teach a child to tell the truth. You have to teach a child to share. Those are things that have to be taught. So, uh, but there is something about youth where we are idealistic. Can't you remember some of you that, like me, have passed uh, your youth? And some of you perhaps are still in your youth, I see. But remember when we were young, we were 
Boy, we had great dreams, didn't we? And everything was going to be the way we wanted it. We were going to do this and we were going to do that. Those were our dreams and our ideas. And I think about David as a young man tending his father's sheep and he wrote the 23rd Psalm. So let's go through in, in Psalm 23. You all know it, no doubt, but we're going to read through it. And think about David. Think about David in his youth as a teenager, before Bathsheba, before Absalom, uh, before King Saul, before Goliath, before all the things that were going to happen to David. Think about this young boy thinking that perhaps he would never leave uh, his father's farm. Perhaps he would tend sheep for the rest of his life. He didn't know where he was going to go. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. But he knew that he had a faith in God. And I think about David as he wrote the 23rd Psalm. He said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see David at this point in his life as simply the shepherd. That's all he is. He's simply the shepherd. Nothing else. But yet, as that simple shepherd, he learned the principles that would sustain him and keep him through the rest of his life. You know, I'm greatly blessed in that as a child, my parents took me to church. And as a child, I was exposed to the message of Jesus Christ. And as a child, not only was I exposed to facts about Jesus, but I was exposed to the Spirit of God to stir my heart and to touch my heart as a child in the innocence of my childhood, to, to be stirred by God's Spirit and to feel God's presence. That has sustained me and that has been the foundation of my life. You know, I've shared before my testimony at nine years of age. God reached down and He stirred my heart. And I was drawn to Him through the Word of God and through the grace of God. And I responded to that call. You know, nobody taught me into it. It wasn't my Sunday school teacher, you know, pressuring me or the preacher pressuring me. Yes, they gave me the Word of God, but it was the Holy Spirit that stirred my heart. The Holy Spirit that drew me and I responded. And I can think about as I've gone through my life, so much of my life, I've reached back to those lessons I learned as a child. And David, no doubt as he went through his life, he would go back and he would reach back to these lessons he learned as a young boy tending those sheep, the lessons he learned in God's faithfulness in times of trial, he would need those. So we have here David, simply David the shepherd. You know, there's a nostalgia, you know, perhaps in all of us as we get older, we, we look back and we think about those things. And, you know, life wasn't perfect. I always say I'm stuck in the 70s. Uh, and uh, one thing I did not like about the 70s, I will say, was bell bottoms and wide collars. You know, you remember those? I lived through it, and I can remember my mother dressing me up for Easter, and I had a suit one time. I think it was a bright blue. 
you know. And I remember those big old bell bottoms and the collar this wide. And I can remember them thinking, I do not like this suit. I look back at pictures in the 50s, you know, when everything was straight. And I said, man, I wish we could wear stuff like that. You know, still there's big, wide stuff. Uh, but things were not perfect. Things were not perfect when David was a shepherd. You know, we saw his brothers. Remember, when they were in the army, they were a little jealous of David. You could sense that. Remember when David showed up with the food and, and he was talking about, well, what's going on here? And, you know, his older brother said, you know, you're, you're just a little upstart. You know, go back home. This is man's work. You're just a little boy. You know, go back home with the other, uh, the sheep. You know, that's where you belong. So from that, from that, uh, from that conversation, we can see there probably was a little, little, little bit of tenseness in David's household. Maybe a little bit of friction going on in the household. But David was a shepherd. Well, he moved on from being a shepherd, speaking about that event, to what we might call being a savior. He became from a shepherd, now that's a big jump, from a shepherd to a savior. He goes out when Goliath is meeting uh, the people of Israel. And you know the story. We don't have to turn to 1 Samuel and, and, and read it again. But David goes out. He asks what's happening. And, and they tell him. Somebody does. And, and you know, David, remember, he's been out there singing songs, singing praise songs in the desert, taking care of sheep. He's already defeated a lion. He's defeated a bear. You know, and he says, you know, uh, God is faithful. There's no reason for the enemy of God to have victory over God's people. God will deliver and you know, the older folks with a little, some wrinkles in their eyes and some muscles on their arms, these older guys, they said, boy, listen, you know, you've never seen a man killed in battle, have you? I mean, you know, people get killed out here. This is serious business. You're just a boy. And especially his brothers told him that. But David was full of faith. And you know the story? David eventually says, I'll fight the giant. And he went out. And of course, the giant, first the giant laughed, but eventually the giant was insulted. He wanted to defeat a champion. I mean, can you imagine being a champion football team and they send out the midget league to play against you? You know, I mean, you'd be insulted. I mean, I want, I want your best. Send me the best you've got. I don't want the second string. I want your best. Send me the best. And Goliath looks out and he's thinking there's going to be some great Israelite warrior come out to fight him. And here's a boy. And, and he insults him. He says, you know, am I a dog? You come to me with sticks and stones? You know, boy, I'm going to kill you. And you know the story. Of course, David, he took his sling and he, he, he slung it and he, and he killed Goliath. You know, he killed him twice. He killed him with the stone, then he cut his head off. But uh, no doubt the stone uh, did some damage. But then he finished the job with the sword and he cut, David, he cut Goliath's head off. So David became a savior. Now, if you look in Psalm 27, Psalm 27, again, um, we don't know exactly uh, when David wrote this psalm, but I think it fits very well with David's attitude when he went out to face Goliath. And this is a great psalm if you're facing difficulty, you're facing great odds, and people are saying, I don't think you're ever going to make it through this situation. Turn to Psalm 27. David could very well have sung this psalm as he went out to face the giant Goliath. In Psalm 27, here's what David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. 
Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle He shall hide me, He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in His tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. You do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. There's the beauty of Psalm 23, of a young boy tending his sheep, thinking how he is a shepherd to those sheep and how those sheep need a shepherd. And then he thinks, you know, I'm a sheep. I have a shepherd. And I have a good shepherd. And the good shepherd is going to take care of me and he is going to look after me and he is going to protect me. And one day he's going to take me to be with him forever in his presence. And then there is the courage of Psalm 27. When David is facing Goliath and when you and I face an adversary, we can go to the faith and the prayer that David exhibits in Psalm 27 where he says, God, I I turn to you for help. I have great enemies. I have powerful enemies and they are surrounding me and the odds do not look good. But, oh God, I call out to you. Have mercy upon me and help me and deliver me from my enemies. And Psalm 27 is a psalm of confidence in God. You can see the confidence and the faith all in that 27th psalm. David's not saying, I don't know what's going to happen. David is saying, Oh Lord, I know. I know that You will deliver me. You are faithful and I am placing my trust in You. Though an army encamps about me, I am trusting in You. So there's the simplicity of the faith in Psalm 23, but yet there is the courage of David's faith in Psalm 27. Well, we move on in the life of David. As you know, we have already gone through the facts of those incidents, and we go from David the shepherd to David the Savior, and then we move on to David the shunned. Now remember what happened after David killed Goliath. You know, King Saul... He was the leader of the people of Israel and he was used to people applauding him. You know, there's something dangerous about praise. We all like praise. I'll never forget when the boys were little, I was trying to use psychology and uh, they had a playroom and I would, they had cleaned up their playroom or cleaned up their room. They were probably about three or four years old, maybe five. And uh, 
I remember I said, boys, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I'd see their eyes light up and where they had cleaned up their room. And I had an office out there across from their little playroom. And, uh, you know, like most offices, it's not where we invite our company to come. And sometimes your papers get stacked up and a piece of paper may fall on the floor. I'm trying to, it, it was really worse than that. You know, I'm trying to make it out like it wasn't that bad. But it had turned into a mess. And, and I got motivated one day and I, I cleaned up that office. You know, and I got everything straightened up. And I'll never forget, you know, one of the boys came in there and said, he looked around, you know, at my office. He said, Daddy, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You know, we like praise, and, and that made me feel good. I mean, my goodness, it's one thing for Lloyd to notice. I'm not sure. I don't think she said I'm proud of you. I think she said it's about time. It's about time. But we love praise. But the dangerous thing about praise is that praise is like a drug. It is addictive. And we start getting praise and we like that praise and we want more praise. And if we're not careful, we begin to make all of our actions contingent and, and our actions are motivated by, I hope I get praised by someone for what I am doing. And Saul had become addicted to the praise of the people. He loved being praised by the people. Well, all of a sudden, David kills Goliath. And here's this young shepherd boy, and, and everybody's singing songs about David. And boy, they came up with a lyric, talking about lyrics. They came up with a lyric that Saul certainly did not like. One of the songs they came up with, just a popular song that, that somebody throwed out there, and they all liked the jingle, and everybody was singing it in the street, and it got, the word got back to Saul. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And boy, that really was the straw that broke the camel's back for old Saul. He already had, a, had a, something stuck in his crawl, if you will, when they were singing about David. But he was taking care of that. But when they came out with that lyric, that was more than he could stomach. He said, now wait a minute. They've ascribed thousands to me, and I'm the king, and they've ascribed ten thousands to him. And you know what happened? Saul began to seek David's life. And David had to run away from Saul and hide in a cave. And, and so David is now the shunned. He was the shepherd. He was a savior. And now he's shunned. He's on the run from what was his mentor, King Saul. Now Saul has turned against him and David is on the run. And in Psalm 57, David, as he always did, in every event of his life, he wrote a song about it. Remember, he was an artist. God had blessed him. And if you look at the introduction, we do know from the introduction to Psalm 57, when he wrote this, it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. So here's David pouring out his heart after the great victory over Goliath. And now he is pursued and he probably wonders, Why? Why is all this happening to me? What did I do to deserve all of this? Well, notice what he said in Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth His mercy and His truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. 
They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the the nations. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. We've had three psalms so far. Three very different circumstances. David, a young boy tending sheep. David facing Goliath, a giant in battle. And David running from his own king. But don't you see a similarity in all three of the Psalms that we have read? In all three of those circumstances, we see David trusting in God. David calling out to God that God might intervene, that God might show himself mighty in the midst of David's circumstance. David is doing the same thing in every circumstance. Well... You know, I've shared when we preached through the life of David that I thought this next phase in David's life was perhaps the high point of his life. Maybe not Goliath, although that's probably the most well-known event in David's life. But you know, my favorite event in David's life is when he was hiding from Saul in the caves. And Saul is trying to kill David. He's already thrown a spear and only David's quick reflexes kept him from being pinned to the wall by Saul's spear. And David is running from Saul. And you know what happens, David? Saul goes into the cave not knowing that David is there. And and, uh, Saul has to take care of his personal business. And while he's doing that, David's men say, strike him dead. This is God. This man, haven't you just prayed? You've been singing songs for God to save you. And God's answered your prayer. God has placed your adversary at your feet. Here's the opportunity. Strike him down. Strike him dead. He's already, God's already said, you're going to be the king one day. So now's your chance. But David, I, and I wonder if David for a moment didn't grab the hilt of his sword and think, and just, just kind of feel of that hilt with his hand and think, maybe, maybe it is God. Maybe it is time for me to leave this cave and I could be king if I struck Saul down. But something within David said, don't do that. Don't do that. You remember what David did? David says, no. God anointed Saul king. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. When God gets ready for Saul to be removed, God put him in there and he'll take him out. And David, instead of taking Saul's life with his sword, he just took a little corner off of Saul's coat. And you know the story. Saul went back down. David went out and took that little corner and said, Hey, all those people that tell you I want to kill you, here's evidence, O king. I am your faithful servant. I do not wish you any harm. And you know, Saul, boy, Saul was a basket case. He started weeping and crying and said, Boy, I really made a bad mistake. I'm so sorry, David. But then it wasn't just a few weeks later, Saul had changed his mind again. And he was trying to kill David again. But in the midst of that, I call it David the saint. David the saint, because David is at his best. You're talking about singing a song in harmony. I mean, that's the, my favorite part of the song of David's life, where David has 
many good reasons that he could have given why he struck King Saul down. He had valid reasons. Saul was trying to kill him. It was self-defense. But David lived on a higher plane at that moment. He could see things from an eternal perspective, and he did not do that. And I think about Psalm number 54. If you look at Psalm 54, I think this is a wonderful picture of perhaps what David was thinking when that occurred. He says, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay, and this is the key verse, He will repay my enemies for their evil. He will cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eyes has seen its desire upon my enemies. Remember what David said when he refused to strike Saul down? He said, the Lord will remove him. David learned the lesson that vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And that's Psalm number 54 teaches that lesson. David is saying God is going to fight my enemies. You know, if someone has done you wrong or if someone has done me wrong, as a follower of Christ, it is not our job to, quote, make sure they get theirs. It's not our job to get them back. It's our job, Jesus said, to pray for your enemies. To pray for your enemies. To love your enemies. It is our job to pray for them and to love them and to let God fight our battles. You know, if you really thought about it, and we shouldn't think this way perhaps, but, you know, if you really don't like somebody, I mean, who would you rather be have on your case? You or God? You know what I mean? I mean, if somebody's after you, you know, I mean, let's just say DW's got on my nerves. I mean... You know, if I don't like D.W. and and, uh, I really want D.W. to get what's coming to him, if I thought about it a minute, huh, who who can really get D.W.'s attention, me or God? I think think God would do a better job of getting D.W.'s attention than old William. I mean, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So really, you need to pray for your enemies and say, God, I give them to you. I want you to fight my battle. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to resist this thing that's coming against me. And David learned that lesson, I would say, at the high point in his life when he was a saint. He said, Lord, I have enemies, but you will repay them. You will repay the enemies. Not me. It's not my job to do it. You will repay. Well... We go in David's life and we go to Psalm 101. And this is a wonderful picture. Psalm 101. David is crowned king. David is crowned king. And I like Psalm 101 because Psalm 101 is the song. It reminds, I tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of a wedding. You know, I've had the privilege to do quite a few weddings now through my time as, as a minister. And uh, unfortunately, I, I think about weddings I've done where, you know, now the couple are no longer together. But, but I think about every wedding that, that I have done. There's always such, such idealism. You know, everyone's going to love each other forever and ever. You know, and everything's going to be great. And the husband, the, the, the bride and the groom, they're there. And there's love and there's tears sometimes. And they're, 
looking in each other's eyes. And I'm sure they're thinking, boy, I mean, we're just going to have the greatest life in the world. I mean, we're just going to love each other, you know, right on and right on and right on. And uh, I, I, I have to be careful, but I remember as a kid, really, I think I was in junior high school, uh, a little girl, for some reason, got a crush on me. I remember she wrote me a letter, and uh, she said, I will love you forever. Well, I was just dumb enough to think she really meant that. And, you know, forever, I think, was about three months uh, by her time scale. Uh, but that was kind of my first lesson. I, you know, she said, I, I, I will love you forever. I thought, well, I, I've got me a girl now forever. About three months later, I found out that was forever, you know, by her calculation. So uh, when, when we think about uh, all the anticipation of, of, you know, how many of us have started something and we say, boy, I'm, we think about this often when we leave home. You know, boy, I'm, I, I know dad, I love my daddy uh, to death. I mean, he just, uh, he's one of the greatest men ever. But I can remember as a teenager living at home with daddy, I would think about certain things he did. Like, well, I'm not going to do that, you know, when I get grown I'm gonna be different you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do things my way I'm gonna do things like I want to do things and and we had this sense of idealism and when you look at Psalm 101 David is crowned king he would hold that position for 40 years and I want you to notice what David has to say in the 101st Psalm it really is a psalm about good intentions this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to conduct myself. It's like the new, we should do this psalm on New Year's Day when you do all your, you know, you're going to lose weight, you're going to start doing things different, stop bad habits, start good habits. Unfortunately, they don't last very long. And unfortunately for David, what he said in Psalm 101, as we go through it, we're going to, we're going to immediately know, oh, oh, oh boy, you failed on that one. You said you were going to do this, but you didn't. You said you weren't going to do that, but you did do it. But at least in Psalm 101, we see David has, a, he has an anticipation that I'm, I'm the new king and this is how I'm going to do things. Listen in Psalm 101 what David says. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, and when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders him, his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. You know, Bible scholars see that as a new crown king talking about all that he is going to do. Now, you could also point and say that that's God speaking about what he's going to do, and that would be the pattern that we would look to emulate. But on another sense, if that is David talking about, this is how I'm going to conduct myself in my kingdom, we could say, oh boy, you had great idealism, you had great ideas, but you fell short. Well, and that brings us to the next thing about David in the psalm, and that is he's gone, of course, from the shepherd to the savior, 
to the shun, to the saint, to the sovereign, when he was crowned king with all these great ideas. But then we know what happens. He becomes the sinner. Well, he was always the sinner, but it just comes out in his life. And he has that great sin with Bathsheba. And you know, we go to Psalm 51. As I shared a couple of weeks ago, David was a sinner. That is true. But most importantly, he was a repenter. And David learned how to repent. And I know this psalm has a few verses. It's 19 verses. And and I am reading a lot today. And I apologize for that. But I, I thought it was important to let David speak. Let David speak from the psalms. And here... Just take a moment, take a, take a few seconds, and listen as I read the 51st Psalm. And remember, this is this man that had all this idealism. I'm going to do things right. I'm going to let justice prevail. And then suddenly he realizes, you know, I've, I've been a failure. All these things I was going to do, I have failed. I, I have become the, the sinner that I said I was going to, to, to fight against. I've become that person. I've become the wicked man. And David, in his humility, notice in Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak. And blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. A beautiful picture, if you can call it beautiful, of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. You know, that is really the price of repentance. We talk about repentance and Excuse me, repentance and forgiveness is free, and it is. But I will tell you, there is a price you do have to pay to be forgiven. And that price is to come to God with a broken and a contrite spirit. You cannot be forgiven if you come to God in arrogance. You cannot be forgiven if you come to God with excuses. You cannot be forgiven if you come to God with a justification for why you did what you did. The only price you must bring to Calvary to be forgiven of your sin is a broken 
and a contrite spirit, a broken heart about what you have done. A sorrowful spirit about the fact that you have broken God's law. And that's what David brought to the Lord. Well, the last thing as we get ready to close, we go over and we're going to go over to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles uh, chapter number 29 or chapter number 28. David is getting ready to hand the kingdom over to Solomon, his son. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 9, he says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. You know, we've been talking about David the shepherd and David the savior, David the shun, David the saint, David the sovereign, David the sinner. But now it's David the strong. He's an old man. Physically, he's weak. But he's trying to pass strength on to his son Solomon. You know, we find that often as we grow older, we realize our time is short. I don't have long to live on this earth. And, and, and we begin to want to, to teach maybe our children or our grandchildren to give them something, to give them a message. And David is doing that with Solomon. He's saying, Solomon, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. And notice what he says there in verse number 23 of chapter 29, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 23. He says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered. And all Israel obeyed him and all the leaders of the mighty men and all the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was forty years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and thirty-three years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor, and Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer, with all his reign and his might, and all the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to all the kingdoms of the land. Here is David the strong. You know, in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, the Apostle Paul says this about David. He says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. David, although he didn't know this song, I'm sure he could have joined with us in singing the verse of this modern hymn that we sing today. That through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. You know, the author of Amazing Grace was a great sinner. He was a great sinner, John Newton. And no doubt David could have identified, no doubt David and John Newton, even today perhaps, have gathered together in God's presence and spoke about the grace of God. If anybody knew about the grace of God, it was this young shepherd boy who started life as an innocent young shepherd. 
God brought him to great heights and he accomplished much for God, but then he fell to great depths and failed God so miserably, but yet he broke his heart, he came to God and he was forgiven, he repented. And although he had to experience the loss of his son Absalom and other of his children, and even Absalom's rebellion against him, and no doubt his heart was broken many, many times, through all the ups and downs and all the, the tones, if you will, of that symphony that was David's life. There's a harmonious note all through David's life. And that note is faith in God. There's an old hymn that we sometimes sing. Have faith in God. That, to me, that is the message of David's life. No matter what happens... No matter how high you ascend or how low you go, do not lose your faith in God. Even when God corrects you. You think about that. That, that to me, that would have been a perfect time for David to have cast God aside. When he was king, he'd sinned with Bathsheba. And Nathan came and shook, I don't know if it was a bony finger, but he shook that old finger in David's face and said, You're the man, O king. David could have said, Nobody talks to me like that. Not king. Nobody points a finger at me. And David could have said, you know, take the head off this prophet. He's not a prophet. But he didn't. He broke his heart. He never lost his faith in God. Even when God corrected him. Even when God says, David, you sinned. You need to repent. He never lost his faith in God. I pray that wherever you are in life and whatever you're facing, maybe you're at a point like David, you're a saint right now. You're just, you're just following God and everything's great. Maybe like David, you're a sinner right now. You failed God and you know you failed Him. Maybe others don't know, but you know. Or maybe you're in a dark point like David when he was shunned by King Saul. Wherever you are, I encourage you, keep your faith in God. Trust Him and call out to Him. Don't lose your faith in God. As our musicians come... And give us a hymn of invitation. You're here this morning. Maybe God has spoken to your heart. The altar is open. You want to come pray or you need to make a public decision for the Lord. You just obey the Lord as we stand and sing.